In a world where God is dying, four heathens come to deliver the final nails in the coffin. From the depths of hell, Satan sends four puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists from the Middle East. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Secular Jihadists from the Middle East. Uh, this is Ali Rizvi, um, and I am joined by Armin Navabi, who is the founder of Atheist Republic, the largest online platform for atheists in the world with 1.7 million followers and the author of Why There Is No God. Armin, can everybody hear your voice? Yes. Hi. I love the intros you do. Much more than for Yeah, it's, it's really nice. Oh really good. <laughs> he makes Armin me the leader of ISIS and all that shit. He tells me... He gives you power. <laughs> no, he gives you, like, the white national whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to expose your super cell over here right now. Yeah, tonight, thank but, you. Anyway. And also, uh, we have, as we always do, uh, Yasmin Mohammed. Uh, Yasmin Mohammed from Confessions of an Ex-Muslim. And her blog is Confessions of, of NextMuslim.com. She'll have a book with the same title uh, coming out soon. Actually, um, the book will be called From Al-Qaeda to Atheism. Oh, yes. From Al-Qaeda to Atheism. Okay. That's, and, and there's a reason it's called that. You should read the, really read the book when it comes out and go to our blog and check it out uh, to find out the story. It's an amazing story. Yasmin, hi. How are you? I am very good. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, wonderful. And also joining us, and who's going to be kind of like a guest host, and we're going to be talking to her about a whole bunch of things, is Ghada. And Ghada actually hails from Saudi Arabia. Um, Ghada, welcome to Secular Jihadists. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're going to join the jihad today, at least for an hour. Allah <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, so... Um, so, the, 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 the start off... See? This is how you start, not that like. No, Allah Akbar is jihad. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. We're, oh, we're, yeah, yeah. we're Shia, so we say uh, we say Bismi Ali. No, we say Yeah Hussein. Yeah Hussein. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's a reference to Obama's middle name, of course, as everybody knows. Anyway, so Gada, um, welcome. So since since this is your first time here, and we're very honored to have you here, and thank you for coming. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, just quickly, briefly, for the audience, and then we'll dive into our hot topic. Maybe tell right. us about the talk that you did with Hiba and Sarah. So uh, oh, that was awesome. Okay, anyway, go thank ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm Lada. I'm originally from Saudi Arabia. I left about three years ago. Uh, I'm an asylee in the United States. Uh, I have become more involved in ex-Muslim, uh, you know, events and uh, the cause. Um, I would like. The main reason I, I'm, I'm trying to do this is because of my experience with it and how it affects like families and tears them apart. And uh, just recently, we were uh, Sarah Hader, uh, Hiba, and I were in University of Colorado Boulder, and we gave a talk about Islam, feminism, and modesty. And it was well received. It was actually really well received. And I was actually pretty surprised that. We only had like one heckler, pretty much. Two, actually, but I would like to lump them together as one heckler. <laughs> was it just out of curiosity? Was it Muslim or SJW or neither? Uh, Muslim. Mm, both of them. 
Uh, I wouldn't call him an SJW. He was kind of an old man. And his was other he the guy who asked a question at the end that the, you guys have a clip up of? Um, he asked a lot of questions, and he wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> okay. He obnoxious. Of course. Yeah. Then you have uh, three women sitting there presenting and talking about faith and, Oh, my God. Stuff yeah, it's just blasphemy. Um, but anyway, uh, so th- today's topic is actually a very oh, before we continue we forgot to mention our khalifa our khalifa is really sick today so that's why he's not yeah, here joining us sorry everybody but let's um, all pray for him yes <laughs> right, right, right. And hopefully he'll be joining us for the next episode all right sorry go ahead ali yeah and shot darwin um we have uh here I, well i mean since this topic i think i'm gonna get i'm gonna ask yasmin i'm gonna request you to introduce it since i think it's probably more personal for you than it is for any of us Oh, okay. Uh, So the topic of conversation today is Bill 62 in Quebec, which is being dubbed the Niqab ban or the Burqa ban. Um, And it is a law that was just passed by the Liberal government there, actually, um, that now says that nobody can cover their face while they are receiving any kind of public service. So this is causing a big uh, brouhaha because a lot of people are saying that this is discriminatory against Muslims. And now all these Niqabi women are going to be forced to stay in their homes because they can no longer avail of public services. So um, that's the topic. I've been receiving a lot of questions about it. And so we thought we'd just do a a live stream where we could answer all the questions and let everybody know our, our feelings on the topic. So I'll let somebody else take the mic now and, and give us uh, their feelings. So, um, Armin, what do you feel about this band? Um, okay. Should we let the guest? Okay. I'll do. So um, it's hard to talk about these things because, without getting accused of, like, oh, you're a man talking about women issues. Shut the fuck up. But I'm it's not a women's reason. issue. It's a face yeah. covering for all I genders. I know. I know. I'm just saying. I know. Whenever I talk about the hijab, people come to me and tell me, like, shut the fuck up. You're a man, but but I tell them that it was men. Came up with it, yeah. I tell them it was men that forced it on you. So men should take part in uh, liberating everybody, and not just women. Anybody should be able to wear whatever the fuck they want, right? But the thing is that um, if this ban is actually about face covering and it's a security issue, then I'm all for it. The only thing I would, the only thing that might make me be a little bit skeptical about it is that if it's a, only a niqab ban disguised as a security issue, right? And I don't know which one it is, so I'm going to remain skeptical. Oh, in fact, Armin, there is a clause in this law that says that if you have a religious reason, you can cover your face. Oh, shit. So it's specifically not a niqab ban. But people love to virtue signal and people love to, you know how Canadians are, right? So this is just a, it's just like M103. So wait, did we tie on this wrong? This is not even a niqab or book. No, it's not, but it's it's clickbait. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what what it's being touted as. That's what it's being touted as because people are full of shit. Same thing like when they were talking about M103 and they're saying if you are against it, it means that you're a Nazi, Islamophobe, racist, bigot, whatever. People, they just, they have to, they're lying in order to inflame 
the the two sides of the of the conversation. So and let just me, to be clear, let me, the clickbait. Oh, I, I'm sorry, Ada. Um, just before you go on, I'm just say this really quickly. The clickbait thing that we've titled that's not it. It's a, people are all over the place calling this a burqa and veil ban, even though there's a religious exception. But Ada, please go on. So um, let me get this straight. So you can still under this clause, under this bill, you can still, you know, get a public service even if you wear the niqab or the burqa under religious exemption. Correct. So the, yeah, that's right. So the people that are against this ban are concerned that this religious exemption might be difficult to get. So they're feeling like it's still against, they, they just want to make the argument that this is specifically against Muslim women. The response is, it has nothing to do with religion, anybody that covers their face, whether it's a man or a woman, you have to uncover your face in order to get public services. And in fact, if you have a religious reason for having to cover your face, then you can submit for, um, what's the word, you guys? Exclusion. Yeah, exactly. And so then they're like, yeah, but how do we know how easy that's going to be? And what if they make it difficult for them? But this is the opposite of race. Actually, it is racist. It's the racism of lower expectations then. Well, this so, is yeah. weird. We should just rename the South Pole the North Pole. Like just everything is just completely upside down. <laughs> no, so so why did they come up with a ban? What, what triggered it? What, what caused this thing to come? Did someone... I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not exactly sure what what they have been talking about it for a very long time. Um, and they were finally able to push it through. And there are groups that are not happy with it because they feel like it's not actually doing enough because it's too specific. And the fact that you can have an allowance because of, of uh, religious reasons. It, so they're not happy with it. They're saying it's not going far enough. And then there are other groups that are saying, you know, this is Islamophobia, blah, blah, blah. The point of the matter is, it is a safety issue. You know, you don't want Antifa walking around with balaclavas and, and causing trouble. You don't want anybody. You don't want a guy walking into a, a, a bank with a ski mask. You don't want people covering their faces. The, the government's main priority is to keep their citizens safe. And if people are going to be walking around covering their faces, what happens in Muslim-majority countries very commonly, and Raja, you can back me up on this, is it's criminals, obviously, will put on a niqab when they want to commit crimes because then, you know, the cameras are rendered useless. Um, of course, eyewitnesses are useless, and then they can get away with crimes. And in so, Sweden just recently, sorry, just to continue, in Sweden just recently, there is a ban on soccer hooligans covering their faces when they go to games. So the soccer hooligans all put niqabs on and they were like, what? What now? How do you like me now? Right? It's a very obvious thing. If you want to cover your face to get away with shit, you can, I mean, it's, it's you're going to put a niqab on, right? If that is available for you to take advantage of. So in Saudi Arabia, uh, I think it was three years ago, uh, there was... Uh, an ISIS attack on a mosque, mm -hmm. a Shia mosque in Damam. Mm -hmm. And the guy was wearing the full niqab and he did blow himself up. 
he was stopped before he was able to get into the the mosque because it was for that particular day the women's section was closed so he was trying to get into the men's section and he was noticed and he was stopped by three regular old guys and they were all killed all three of them yeah somebody asked one wonders if these people will equivocate equivalently support KKK masks? That's a very good question. Well, no, they have to become a religion first. I say, no, never mind. No, my say, point is, yeah. if would, so you think all of these people that are yelling and screaming and saying that they should cover their faces, do you think that there would be people yelling and screaming and saying, you should also allow white supremacists to be able to cover their faces? No, too? because people are, people, are, people are idiots. They think religion is special and everything else isn't. I, I suggest somebody like the flying spaghetti monster people go out and say, like, make head coverings for the face coverings for their religion. Or like I, the Jedi people, because they are official religions. Well, I really don't think that it's just that. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the religion is part of it, but also because the KKK is officially uh, a hate group. And they so know it's, it's a hate group. Yeah, but the thing is, Islam has a special treatment because yeah, it's a religion. Religion, religion. I do believe it's a hate group, and it's pretty obvious when you read the Quran that it's a hate group, but it's a hate book, but it's uh, not considered, I mean, the niqab, for example, is not considered as a form of hate. In my opinion, I do look at it as a form of hate. It's a form of segregation. Uh, it's a form of telling other people that you would rather live in a segregated society because you're covering your face from a specific group, men. And that when, you're inferior. It, not necessarily that you're inferior, because, uh, you know, growing up in Saudi Arabia, a lot of women wore the top, and they didn't necessarily wear the top because of religious reasons. Well, some of them did. I'm not going to say not all of them. But a lot of them, a lot of them, like my family members, they wore it because they wanted to uh, conceal their, their identity, a lot like what um, Yasmin was saying. They don't they didn't want their, not necessarily to commit crimes or anything like that, but they didn't want uh, people to know who they are when they were out. And one of the reasons is because of the whole honor culture and the modesty culture, of course, is that, you know, a woman that is seen outside without a male guardian or, uh, you know, just having, just, you know, being outside and, and doing her own thing is looked at as loose or, you but know. Isn't that from religion? That honor of course, it's all, from, it's all from religion. It's okay. just that you know, the whole idea of the, the niqab is to enforce the segregation between the sexes. Right. So when people, and one of the things I never understood is when people keep saying like, oh, if you ban the burqa, then all of these women that are, you know, liberated by going out, they won't be able to do it. But the thing right. is, but the thing is, these women that are wearing the niqab, whether it's because, you know, a, 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 the male family member, uh, you know, imposed it on her or if the, the society imposed it on her, or even if she chose to wear it, they're doing it as a way to segregate themselves from the rest of society. And they wouldn't feel any inferior or any different if they were forced to stay at home and living in a, in a country like in, in, in you know in, in like Canada or uh, anywhere in Europe where you know the law is on your side if you decide that you don't want to wear it anymore and your society your community or your significant other you know makes you feel shit feel like shit for doing it you can just fucking leave them yeah but the, but the argument but the argument for them being forced to stay home doesn't make sense because I mean not, like the people that make that because we're not suggesting that people should be forced to not wear their hijab. Like none of us is suggesting that, right? Like we just think that everybody should be able to not wear the hijab. We never, we'd, we're not doing the Reza Shah thing where he made it illegal for people to wear the hijab. Nobody is suggesting that, right? 
Yeah, and people are just saying, when I'm trying to give you a public service, I would like to look at this person that mm -hmm. I am giving a public service to. So here, uh, the, what I have here is the, uh, the actual language of this, and I'm reading an article about this in the Montreal Gazette, and it says that the, uh, the reason the government says the bill respects the charter, because you know, we have a charter here about human rights and non-discrimination, is because it provides an opportunity for individuals to invoke their faith as a reason to not be subject to the rules, as Yaz was saying, by requesting a reasonable accommodation. Guys, we never played so, and, and what they're saying is that this accommodation must be serious, consistent with the right to equality between women and men, not impose any undue hardship on the rights of others, not compromise public health and safety, and be financially fair. So, so it's a, for people who wear niqab, who want to apply for this exemption, it's not a guarantee that it will be approved. They don't really have strict criteria, uh, but um, what they will do is that they're going to look at it uh, in, in, on a case-by-case uh, -case basis, and it seems like they're what they're doing more than anything is, is more of a regulation than a ban. That's right. It is a regulation. It's a little bit of a restriction, yeah. and I totally support it. And people say some stupid things like, oh, you know, since when does the government have the right to tell people? That's what the government does. It tells people what to do all day long. That's its job. I mean, if people are like, I don't like the niqab either, but I don't think we should be telling people not to wear it. Well, you know what? I like public drinking, <laughs> but I can't. I can't just go down to the beach and drink because it's against the law. So it doesn't yeah. matter whether you like it or you don't like it. It's irrelevant. My personal feelings towards the niqab are irrelevant here, even though I absolutely hate it. But that's not the point. The point is that it is a security risk we know it's a security risk. People call it Islamophobic. So is Egypt Islamophobic? Is Qatar Islamophobic? Tunisia, Morocco, all of these countries that also have restrictions on the niqab, are they somehow Islamophobic too, mm. right? The reason why there are restrictions on the niqab in all of these countries is because those countries have discovered that it's an incredible security risk to have people walking around with their faces covered in certain situations. Right. So, so devil's advocate. If what if somebody says, you know, they they are trying. This is an anti niqab thing, but they're trying to squeeze it in by first including that exemption, and then once it gets passed, they slowly then remove the exemption, and the whole or they start rejecting the, whole, the application. Not doing a very good job. What? Well, I, the, I think it, if I, that's I, their aim, they're not doing a very good job. No, no, but I think that might, they might be doing a good job because they've tried to do this the whole time and people talk about the charter and all this stuff. So now they're like, no, well, if you have a religious reason, then what we'll do is we'll allow you to apply for an exemption. Then you apply for an exemption and be like, well, does this, is this consistent with equality between men and women? Because that's one of the criteria. If it isn't, then be like, we're going to reject it. So you're not going to get the exemption. So, so it may be a more sort of uh, insidious way to... Um, kind of get around that loophole in the, in the charter. Insidious is probably the wrong word. Either. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I, well, I totally wouldn't say you call it insidious if it was specific? Like, if I'm not saying this is the case, but what if? No, no, what, what I meant was clever. No, no, it's, no, it's a yeah, but way I'm, to do I'm it. calling. I'm saying, what if it is insidious? What if these people don't have security concerns and they're actually trying to appeal to people that want a niqab ban, right? Like, is that, would you be for it if, if you found out that that was the reasoning behind it and these people... The but it already is a security concern. No, I know, but I'm saying, hypothetically, 
if this was like the people that were doing it, their motivation was not security. Their motivation was to appeal to people that want an aqab ban. Would you support it if that was the reason? I would support it. Why? Because to me, the niqab is an infringement on my right to know who I am speaking with, who I am dealing with, who I am exchanging goods and services with. I need to know who the person in front of me is. Yeah, they can give me... Is that a right? Somebody, yeah, it is a right. If it's a public service, it is a right. I need to know. That person has no right to come and get a public service if I don't know who that person is. And no, but is it a legal right? That's what we're saying. Legally. Maybe, okay, but they're legally are not entitled to the rights of services unless they give me proof of their identification. If somebody walked in with anything else covering their face and they said, hey, I'm here to pick up my check or whatever it is that they're here to do, do you think that there wouldn't be any problems? But it's the fact that this clothing that's covering their face is done in a specific way that's what makes it different? Because that's, it's religious. That's because unfair. We're a secular because country and ev- the one law for everybody. There should not be this stupid religious accommodation no. anyway. I agree with you guys, but I'm just, uh, I'm just saying if the motivation was not that we should all treat people equally, this, the, the, that's just the excuse that they're using to appeal to people that want the naqab. I think that we're as- assuming the worst in people here when we that's say what stuff like that. Yeah, I don't. I think that that's the problem, though. I think that's that kind of hyperbole is what's causing this. Okay conversation so, so, to go off the rails is that people like I, I'm reading tweets where people are saying things like oh you know these people that are against the niqab it's because they hate women or sorry against the 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 people that are happy about the niqab ban hate women and they want them to be holed up in their houses like that's complete bullshit and it's untrue completely because women that wear niqab are doing it in order to segregate themselves from the society that is outside. They want to be known as, you can't see me, but I can see you. Only certain people can see me. Only women can see me. Only my husband, my children, and my father, and whatever it is can see me. And that in itself is insulting to the other people around them. And, you know, it's not like the hijab where you can still see the person's face. You can still identify who they are. You can still, you know, it's with, with the niqab, it's completely taken out. Like this person has no identity. Not a person, person, it's not a person. Yeah, it's like no identity. I don't know who, this, who I am talking to. So, Gada, I have, a, oh, sorry, Yaz, you want to finish? I was going to, I was going to say two things. First of all, I wore the niqab for five years and let's just dispel with the myth that niqabis are going around, you know, hanging out with their friends at the mall and the beaches. And that's just, I mean, please, if you're in a family where you are wearing a niqab, if that's the expectation, then then you are probably never going to be leaving the house except for emergency purposes. I only left the house for prenatal visits once a month. If I wasn't pregnant, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have even left the house. Well, I didn't in the other times. I didn't even get to leave the house once a month. Okay, so it's not like all of a sudden because of this restriction, Nakabis aren't going to be allowed to go around and live their life. They're already not living their lives. They're already part of an extremely conservative, fundamentalist, religious household. That's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted to say was, let's also dispel with the myth that this is even Islam. This is excessive alt-right Islam. 
let's not forget that Muslim women, Muslim women don't wear the niqab when they're praying and in parts of Hajj. So that's two out of the five pillars of Islam already has restrictions on the Quran. So Islam is even worse than Quebec because they're also putting restrictions specifically on the on the on the niqab and they're not giving people accommodations. Actually, in Hajj specifically, in Hajj, you cannot cover your face. That's your right. Face and the same thing with salah, you, with prayer. You don't cover your face when you're praying unless you're in a situation where there are strange men, like men that are not muhram for you, men that you could marry, that they might be able to peep you. You know, they might be able to see you. So then if you're in a hobby, you cover your face. Otherwise, yeah, if you're then, at home, take it off. Uh, but then you're in hedge and then you can't cover your face. Even exactly. though it's filled with so well, many men are pure there. That's yeah. why you, you don't have to worry. But, but again, is that, two out of is the five pillars of Islam ban the burqa already. Right. But is, is that like, because uh, the thing is, um, one of the... Uh, is that a good argument to have that, okay, well, this isn't even Islamic? I mean, if something is, because things can yes. Why not? be Islamic. No, because Islam is shit. Is, when people start to say, this is, can yeah. we have a religious accommodation? Or you guys are being Islamophobic against Muslims. It's like, no, this isn't against Muslims because it's not even Islam. Okay, so one question I had, uh, Gada, for you specifically, was you were, you were talking about how, you know, establishing identity unless you don't know who the person is. So we had the kids again, and now I'm doing the Armin thing, the devil's advocate, because, I mean, this is obviously you guys, you're the women who worn the niqab. I obviously never have. You're just uh, mansplaining it to them. I did, I did I've wear I've never worn that niqab, but I've known so many women that do. Oh, you haven't? Okay, so I actually did wear it once um, for a Halloween party where I was a nudist on strike. That was my official costume. <laughs> um, apart from that, I never have, but that was crap. I was like, I did not. I was like, I need to be nude, and I've never felt that ever because <laughs> me being nude is like, it's worse than terrorism. It's a public threat. Anyway, the, the, I'm, I'm digressing, but... Oh, no the point is, So we had... <laughs> really, yeah, I have to say the obvious. The... If you had, um, the, you had the case of Zanera Isak a few years ago, right? This Canadian woman uh, who uh, has, was a permanent resident, then she went and applied for citizenship, and she was going in to do her citizenship oath, and she insisted that she wanted to have her face covered while mm -hmm. she did it. The conservatives said, no, you shouldn't do this. Uh, the, the liberals said yes, and it became a big political issue. Um, ultimately, uh, the, the courts over here ruled that, yeah, she should be allowed to cover her face. Um, so th th here's my question when it comes to identity and, and my wife and I actually uh, disagree on this, uh, but uh, my whole thing, what I, what I asked my, my wife said that she should not be able to wear it, but I asked her, I was like, okay, what if she comes into the room, right? And when they're establishing everybody's identity and they're knowing who it is, they look at her face, they establish that this is the person who it is. They frisk her, make sure that there's no weapons and no nothing. There's no security risk. Then she goes in, she's taking the oath, puts the niqab back on. Is that okay? Or why is, would she put it back on again? That's actually that's exactly what, she what happened. She wants, that's exactly what happened. That's what she wanted. So they established her identity. They made sure she wasn't a risk. She came into the thing and then she wore her niqab and she took the thing. She wanted to uh, uh, take the oath as herself. And for herself, she actually chooses to, to wear the niqab. So she's not even a Canadian yet and she's already defying our laws. Well, it's not, it's not, there's no law against it. She wasn't defying a law. That was the whole controversy, right? What she was doing was she was actually just wearing whatever she wanted to once she had established her identity and uh, proven that she, there was no security risk. So in that kind of situation, 
what do you do? I mean, do you go with the whole individual liberty thing? I mean, there's clearly a woman who wants to do this, right? Uh, she's an adult of sound mind and faculty, debatable from our point of view, but still. And uh, she wanted to go ahead and, and do this, and there was no security risk, and there was uh, no identity problem. So what do you do here? What do you do in a situation like that? I mean, that's, the, that's essentially what happens in Saudi Arabia. And when you, whenever you go through security, there's always like a female section where you go. It's completely covered. Only the women mm. can see you. The thing I would have against that is that, you know, when, you, when only one or two people can see who this person is to verify their identity, it's much easier to slip, you know? Mm-hmm. It's easier to bribe one or two people than to like bribe every single person that sees your face. No, but I mean, these are people at the citizenship oath office. That's I mean, they're one, security One very officials. specific case, Ali, and that can uh-huh. be a slippery slope. I agree. Right. With, I think that's what I'm saying. I completely agree. It is okay. a yeah, slippery slope. And not only that, I mean, why? I mean, I understand in her head, if she wanted to be in her own self and take out, take and take the oath in her hijab and whatever, in, in her, sorry, in her niqab, completely covering her face. But her picture on her passport is going to be showing her face. Right. So <laughs> So that doesn't make any sense to me. And, and the, the whole idea about banning niqab is so that these, these ideas wouldn't even be there. You would think that if you ban this kind of idea that niqab is um, you know, oppressive, it completely erases your identity, that people will just, uh, the women will just, uh, you know, be like uh, Yasmin said, uh, uh, restricted to their homes and they would not have the freedoms that the West, you know, has for them. But that's not really true. I mean, it it does get them to think. It does get them to start to question more and, you know, slowly deviate from this fundamentalist Islam that made them wear this hijab and a lot of this niqab, this, this burqa. And I had a friend when I was in Saudi and she was a little bit more liberal Muslim than her family, even though her family made her wear niqab. And uh, she would probably be the only person that I knew that wore niqab and actually let her personality shine. The people just knew who she was, even though she was completely covered from head to toe. People t- knew who she was just from a walk. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but that's not because she wore niqab. It's because she is like that despite it because she didn't want to wear it, but she had to because of her family. And people like mm-hmm. that, if, if you ban the niqab, they're just going to take it off. They're not going to be... Uh, yeah, exactly. You give them the opportunity to defy their families because now they can go out. Now they can be their true selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I, I think that's one of the strongest arguments uh, in, in favor of it, that there are the, 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 just the idea that the majority of people wearing it, even in the West, are doing it because of their families. There are some exceptions. Obviously, I actually personally know a woman. After who, yes, I have a devil's advocate. Yeah, I have. A, I actually personally know a woman who chose to wear it, even though her parents were very liberal. They weren't upset. They were. They were actually weren't approving of it. They're really pissed off. They're like, our daughter's gone completely fundamentalist, and why is she wearing it? So there are those cases as well. Yeah, there's also a case of a grown woman that decided to that she wanted to undergo female genital mutilation. Yeah, yeah that's right? a good counter. And that's mm-hmm. fine if you want to go ahead and do that kind of thing to yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's your, you can't do that to your child, so you can't put. Yeah. yeah. So my fear is when people say, "Oh, people choose to to wear the niqab." Yeah, of course they do. People choose to also 
you know, cut off their daughter's clitorises. Abraham chose to almost kill his child. Religious people will do whatever the fuck for well, their I mean, religion. They're not choosing it. My, my view even, on this is that even sorry, if you but, zoom out um, and you just look at it, this is the act of being religious. If you're a woman and you choose to be religious, I mean, that itself is self-oppression anyway. So if I mean, you're whole, a human and you choose to, to be religious, that's self-oppression. So the, when the burqa ban thing happens, I always ask them, like, well, should we ban people from being religious too? Because they don't really choose. No, but we have to have, we have laws in place that ban certain things. Mm. And we can't say, oh, but people choose to do that. That makes no sense. It's like saying you can't murder people. No, no, no. But it's their right because they chose to murder that person. So we can't stand in their way. I don't give a flying fuck what people choose to do. People choose to do stupid things every day. But 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 Can I say something? But even if you choose to do this, even if you choose to wear the burqa, and it's your complete choice, and you're not some sort of extremist Muslim idiot, um, but you still want to wear the burqa, okay, then accept the consequences. You can't leave your house. Well, okay, devil's advocate to that. Reza Shah tried to do that, and it fucking backfired in the form of an Islamic revolution. Like, what, like, what I'm trying to say... Yeah, he, but he did it in a hijab way, not niqab. No, and we're saying it's for safety reasons. We're not saying we're trying... I'm not saying people that are choosing to be Muslim that we want to stop them from doing that. No. no he wasn't doing I'm that. Saying- he was going and he said, like, you can't be having a hijab in public. Sure. Yeah. That's okay. We did. we know that the same the same thing happened in Turkey too. I think not as extreme, but, but something like that. Yeah. But yeah. But my point is, for him to do that was just anti-Islamic. The things that we're talking about are anti-safety, yeah. anti-child abuse. Like we have a value system already in place. So you're, yeah. you want equality. You're not saying go after Islam, exactly. but we are going after. Okay, so actually we are. But going if it Islam. if it happens to go after Islam, then so be it. But the do you point, think no? no, no you, you're saying it's fair. If it's fair to go, it's, it's fair to ban Islamic things as because it's ban is is banning everything equally for and Islam is just being in the line of fire. Well, no, I'm saying we should ban unsafe and dangerous things. And if it happens to be part of Islam to do those unsafe and dangerous things, I don't give a fuck. That's what I agree agree with you completely on that, right? And that's the fair way of doing it. And Rizal Shah was going after Islam, banning Islamic thing, whether it was safe or unsafe. But the thing is that our approach to go after Islam with, with regards to things that are still safe is to educate people rather than tell them you can't be Muslim, right? When it comes to things, uh, yeah, that, that's, yeah. when it comes to banning things that um, that are Islamic, we ban it not because it's, it's Islamic, we ban it because it's the right thing to do, right? And it's because of security risk, and it's right. because it's also an insult yeah, to the people well, that are around you. Well, yeah, secure, yeah, that's what I mean, but it's the right thing to do. I, it, we don't give a shit that it's Islamic. We can't have this in a civilized society it's whether it's Islamic or not, it's irrelevant. But when we go after banning Islamic thing, specifically for because because it's Islamic, we don't do that. In that situation, we think educating people is way more effective than one, uh, what Ataturk or Reza Shah tried to do. Okay, yeah, and I, I, I think, yeah, right. go ahead. I uh, have something to add, and it's um, the reason I believe these bans have been coming out is that before, you know, it's just common sense. If you're going to go into a bank, for example, you're not going to be wearing a black lava or a ski mask or, or, or whatever. I mean, I went to a, a 
sorry. I went to a bank once and I was just wearing my sunglasses and they and the lady behind the counter was so afraid and uh, just in, in, and kept looking at me as if I was just going to rob her. And then I realized I was still had my uh, my sunglasses on and she told me, please remove your sunglasses. And I did. So it was before this whole like um, migration to the West by or, or like the extremism of Islam. And like when, when a lot of Muslims started not just, you know, being regular Muslim, but they wanted to be like super duper Muslim 9000. Uh, that's when this whole niqab thing came out, of, uh, you know, came out because a lot more women started wearing them. And now it's become more of a norm because in a lot of these places, um, they expect to get a service without having to ident to uh, show their identity, like you know, going to the bank, going to like you use use a credit card for a large per purchase, something like that. Mm -hmm. I I want to kind of uh, go back and just bring in that element of choice, and that's where I slightly disagree with you, Yaz, is that the, I think the choice aspect, I mean, obviously you're talking about the choice to murder people and everything, and that's inflicting harm, like physical harm on other people. But I think choice is the most important thing, that being able to choose not to wear the hijab, being able to choose not to wear the niqab, being able to choose what you believe, what you don't believe. And if somebody wants to wear it, say, in the privacy of their own home or, you know, when they're not receiving a public service. And that's why I'm a big I'm a bigger fan of words like regulation. Don't do it to kids. Kids should not be allowed to wear the niqab. You should not be allowed to put a niqab on your kid, circumcise your kid, female genital mutilation, nothing. None of that should happen to kids. You shouldn't be able to do it, you know, when you're receiving a public service. Okay, you should have to establish your identity on all the cases that Ghada's talking about. But I'm just uncomfortable with the term ban because whenever I hear ban, that sounds authoritarian. That actually regulation is a ban. I don't understand the difference. No, regulation <laughs> isn't. It, it's not a blanket ban. There's blanket bans and there's regulation. Yeah, but it's so. still a ban. If okay, you're but for, anyway, for instance, can we just go no back to the on. choice thing? Because we're, it is a regulation. Yeah. It's not a ban. Okay, so right. that's that. Right, so it's that's why I want to... It's a ban. It's just in... It's semantics. But yeah. that's not okay. actually what it is. But it's a, the reason it's a significant difference, for example, you, you talked about the public drinking thing. There's no ban on, on drinking. The, yeah, the, there is. I, no, the, there's public a ban on drinking. These are under, legal uh, terminology. The difference is that important. Yeah, no, no, but the di the difference is important because when you're banning drinking, right? You're not, you don't have a prohibition like you did in the U.S. like many, many decades public ago. Public drinking. Right, there's a, so there's a ban on. There's no ban on drinking, but it's regulated. You can't do it in public. There's no ban on being obscene or swearing on when you're broadcasting, but there is. Uh, it's after 10 p.m. There's certain hours when you have free speech. Okay, but Ali, who's, hours, right you know? who's telling That's you that it's a ban? No, when people talk about it, should we ban the burqa or not? I, th I think the answer should be no. But if people say that should you uh, regulate where you can wear the burqa, where you can wear the face veil or not, I think you should say Yes, you should regulate. And I think that's, that's what this deal. conversation is about. This conversation is about Bill 65 in Quebec, which is a restriction on the niqab. It's not a ban. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm talking about the overall. So, so wait, during what's Halloween, what's going to happen in Quebec? Yeah. Is it People can't wear wait. masks anymore? Yes, that's also part of it. You can't, if you're going to wear a mask, cover your face in any way. You have to show it if you're going to get any kind of public service. Mm. Um, but back to the, the point of choice, Ali, I still don't mm. understand what part we disagree on because... What I'm saying is, I don't care if she chose to wear the niqab or if she's being forced to wear the niqab. It's irrelevant to me. If the law says you can't cover your face, 
then you can't cover your face. It, it makes no difference to me whether she chose it or not. But it, to you, it makes a difference? No, no, no. If the law says that you can't cover your face, obviously you can't. But right now, the law doesn't say that. Right, right now in actually Quebec, does. it does. It, it, no, it does it, when you're getting a public service, you cannot cover your face in, in Quebec. No, no, I'm talking about in all of Canada. Are you still allowed? Like, if yeah. This is just Quebec. This is just Quebec. This is not federal yet. Okay. No, I, I understand. I'm saying that in the rest of Canada, right? In the rest of Canada, in most of the U.S., you're allowed to cover your face under uh, certain circumstances and not under others, right? Right. So there are places, I mean, I've seen people who go on buses if they're, you know, in the winter, they have ski masks on, all you can see is their eyes. I mean, people are allowed to do that. So if the law says you're allowed to do that and someone chooses to do that with the niqab, do we allow it? Or do we, support, we have no we we have no choice but to allow it. Okay, if so there you go. Then we're on the same page. Yeah, we don't have an army, so we don't we can't. <laughs> <do it. laughs> but yeah. but going back to what Rada said, uh, I want to ask her a question because she said this: uh, the hijab doesn't make women inferior, but I argue that it does because I never said that. When did I say no, that? You said because women choose like. Okay, maybe I'm they don't you. feel that they're inferior. Oh, they don't feel, but you do agree that even if they don't feel it, this does put yeah. them in a position. Yeah, I, I, I was forced right. to work a job since I was nine years old, and I right. felt inferior the second that it was put on me. Right. I mean, I mean, imagine if, like, if people had made, um, you know, having, you know, slave collars fashionable for men, and like people like people's like, yeah, wear this, and people are like, no, fuck you, I'm not gonna for uh, sorry for black for black men and women, right? I completely, I completely and, and agree with you. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things that, um, you know, I hate to say the word trigger, but it really does trigger like a PTSD in me whenever I see these like fashionistas that are wearing hijab and like they're with their makeup and their uh, like extravagant dresses. The, the whole idea of hijab is not what you're doing. You're now making it a fashion accessory. Mm -hmm. And why not just, as like you said, why not like put sh shackles and like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's what not on, you know, black people and, and, and make it like, people, yeah. yeah, because that's what it was, like slaves, you know, like, right. oh, slavery is now fashionable, just like hijab is fashionable, niqab is fashionable. And, and, actually, and actually, it's pretty much the same because the whole idea of hijab is that women are property and you're trying to protect your property from other men, right? Exactly, so yes. It's basically a sign of ownership. It sure is. Yeah, and other women that are celebrating it, the fact that they're celebrating it doesn't make it uh, any less bad because basically they're celebrating women being property. That's what they're celebrating. So if all of a sudden be like, if if all of a sudden some um, black people you force them to wear shackles, but then some other black people are like, oh, but I like my shackles. That we we, we don't use that as an argument to say like, well, this is okay. Well, I don't you. Care that be surprised because there have been, um, well, I'm pretty sure you know this, but during, you know, when slavery was still around, there were black people that were against even the liberation. They were against the abolition of slavery. There were women that were, that were against women getting the vote. That too. So, right. I mean, there are people, you will always find these people that are in aberration. They're not the normal. They're not the average Joe or Muhammad or Fatima that you will meet. They'll be like a certain type, like these these hijabis that are going out and saying, "My hijab liberates mm -hmm. me," or the niqabi that says, "You know, I feel my true self when I'm wearing my niqab." These are not like 
yeah. you know, Yasmin, uh, when she was uh, wearing the niqab back in 2001, that's not her. That's like a black man saying, I see my true self as a slave. That's my yeah. nature. That's what it would sound like to me. Yeah, so it's, yeah, exactly. But to, to these people, to these ridiculous, liberal-minded, misguided regressives, they think that this is not the same because this is more, because they really do believe these uh, fashionistas that wear hijab or the one niqabi that they met that had a beautiful personality. And I, ha- and I know that niqabi that has a wonderful personality. She doesn't want to wear the niqab. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. my mom, whenever we traveled outside of Iran, as soon as the plane landed, she would take off her job and we'd be like, yay, mommy gets to be free like the rest of us for a little bit until we go back home. <laughs> That's how I felt every time I left Saudi. Oh. It was the most liberating thing in the world. And the first thing I did when I was uh, in the car crossing, uh, after I crossed the, the causeway from Saudi to Bahrain, was I took off my hijab and I threw it. And I was like, and I told my friend that took me to the airport, like, I don't know, I don't care what you do with it. You can burn it, you can throw it in the garbage. I just don't want it anymore. <laughs> we see those pictures of all those videos of all those women being liberated from ISIS cities. And there's like mm-hmm. amazing, I mean, Yaz has one that she, presents at every every talk that's incredible and but there was also the, the 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 feminist revolution in kuwait where women took off their veils and and burnt them yeah in the streets yeah yeah, yeah. um yes i had a question for you um mm-hmm. is this so back when you used to wear this when you used to wear the niqab and the burqa was there any at that time because uh, i i i'm not doing i'm gonna Try to do the math on how long ago it was. Was there any discussion, public discussion, about the bans on the niqab or burqa, or did that come later? No, there was no public discussion at all. In fact, um, even after I left him, mm-hmm. I still had the niqab on for a while because you sort of get conditioned to wearing it. It's really, it, it's like any other piece of clothing, right? So I felt like if I just stopped wearing it, I felt like I would. It's like going around topless, right? You're just mm-hmm. used to being covered up. So for all these years, so taking it off, it was not, I, I didn't do it in just one fell swoop. No. But if so there was discussion, him, then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, after I left him, I would drive. I would borrow my mom's car and I would drive with this niqab on. And I knew it was really dangerous. I didn't want to drive with my daughter in the car because I was like, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get in an accident. I can barely see. And cops would look at me and I'm like, oh shit, this is it. Now I'm going to get pulled over because I have no peripheral vision. And they would just kind of look at me and then keep going. Nobody said a word to me. I, I got away. <laughs> yep. That's such a very good point. I never thought about it. You can't yep. see. So that's the most important place to check. <laughs> yep. And it's, you're like a horse with blinders. It's like, oh you know how they have now on The Handmaid's Tale where the women have to wear those bonnets so that they only see what's in front of them. I mean, there's this picture online going around where there's this man, he's tying the shoelace of his Nakabi wife and people are like, oh, mashallah, look how beautiful that is. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no you fucking see. moron. Right. Exactly. She can't see. <laughs> see her shoes that's why he has to do you know anybody that's anybody that says oh you look so good in hijab and like well then it's not working but the whole point of hijab is for you to not look pretty so you're not attractive like oh you look much better in hijab which makes the whole hijab fashionistas and like beauty uh consultants and whatnot just Completely ridiculous, Correct. and they wear it so loose so that you can see their earrings and whatever. It's like, what are you it's doing? Like the Nike symbol. Yes. 
Yeah. Take so, it but, off. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I yes, gonna... if you had, um, so if there was a discussion like that and everybody was talking about we need to ban the face cover and everything, and at that time when you were wearing it, yeah. and you had the mindset that you did at that time, yeah. Um, where, you know, you said it would be like being topless and all that. Yeah. And if that conversation was going on, if you can put yourself, I hate to do this, but if you, yeah. if you can put yourself into that mindset, how would you have reacted to this conversation? Or, it would or, have made zero difference in my life because I never left the house anyway. Oh, so you, you would have just, so if they banned the niqab or the veil, then you, Well, oh, it's not okay. a ban. It's a, it's a restriction in public spaces or in public, when you're receiving public, public services. Service. Yeah. So the only time, I mean, it would never, there would be never, never be a situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, people talk about, oh, now they, these Nahabis can't take the bus anymore. It's like, when have you ever seen a Nahabi riding the bus on her own? Her man is driving her yeah. or her mahram of some sort is driving her wherever it is so, that she needs so to So let's go. move out of Quebec for a second and look at the whole burkini thing. Remember the whole burkini thing that you had in, in uh, France? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, so what do you think about that? Something like Again, that. I would name? never have been on the beach in the first place. There's no way I would have been allowed to wear a burkini. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're <laughs> once that thing gets wet and it sticks yeah. to your body, yeah, and it's, no, it's not just before you wearing a burkini. It was me, like me with my mother, for example. She would uh, when I when I started taking scuba diving lessons, she criticized me so much for doing that because she said, you know, the the scuba diving uh, suit was like the wetsuit is too. Um, Revealing, it shows, yeah, exactly. It's, of course, I didn't give shit because I was already an atheist at the time, and I still went and, and got my uh, my. You were an atheist when you were in Saudi. Yeah. See, this is this is so good because people think that you get we get brainwashed when we come here. No. We became an atheist when we were already there. Yeah, I was there. I became yeah. an atheist. I started reading Surah An Nisa and the Quran, and like, what the fuck what is the- this? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what did it for me too. Yeah, just the the, the women thing, the misogyny thing. That that's what did it for that's me. My my mother's a university professor. My mother her, is a doctor. Yeah, and I yeah. Went to her and I was like, uh, "Mom, uh, why does this say that men can discipline their wives, but women can't discipline their husbands?" Mm-hmm. And she didn't really have a convincing argument. So I was like, "Okay." I guess this is bullshit. I'm just gonna ignore this part. Continue. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 actually, like my my mom was once we were at a, at a store and she he her hijab her head cover slipped a bit, and uh, this guy came with a stick, the matawa, the religion oh, you know, of the oh, promotion of the matawas in Saudi Arabia, the religious police, and he came and he he had a stick, and you know they hit women in in public if something like that happens, oh, and he was about to hit her on the head, and then she just turned around, and she started yelling at him. And then I was thinking, I was like, this Matawa, this guy, he could, he's probably, he looked like he was barely literate. And my mother has got, like, they're, they're usually either, in the, the religious police, they're usually like, uh, taken that stick and shove it uh, up his ass. They're usually like yeah, re- reformed uh, yeah. criminals. Oh. You know, yeah. now, that's something I didn't know. So the, thing is in Saudi, the thing is in Saudi Arabia is when you go into prison, you can get a lower prison sentence if you memorize the Quran. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the more you memorize the Quran, you know your your sentence uh, becomes lower. And then afterwards, there's a re- rehabilitation. No, 
Can I memorize? Uh, Memorizing the Quran is like that's like a sentence in itself. <laughs> yeah, like, like no, I'd be like, I'll take it. Next there are, here. <laughs> like if you think if you think like other other Muslim countries are ridiculous for what they do to promote Islam, you should go to Saudi and just like I mean, you lived in Riyadh. I've only been there oh, yeah. a few times, and I hated every single time I was there. Oh yeah, it's and even more time, insane than Tehran. Yeah, so one time I was there, and one of, and my friend drove me to uh, a parking lot of you know this building, and he's like, Lada, Lada, look up there, look at what it says, and it was a uh, the not a ministry, but it was like a an organization for the scientific miracles of the Quran. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole building. Actually, you know what? These are government <laughs> employees. These are government employees that research on a daily basis the scientific miracles of the Quran. Oh my god! No, no there's a there. There are people. They actually got uh, Keith Elmore, who's one of the world. You know, you know. Remember Ben Carson was running for the presidency yeah. mm-hmm. again. So how you know Ben Carson is is an absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, pediatric neurosurgeon, but yeah, he right. is just an idiot when it comes to everything else. So mm-hmm. Keith Elmore is one of the world's leading embryologists. When I was in medical school, we read his book a lot, but they actually got him in Saudi Arabia to write uh, a book with okay, Quranic get... ayahs talking I, about embryology. I right. do remember that. I do remember that. They, they taught us that in school. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, my, my mom got arrested once. Um, this was early after the revolution, and she got arrested because her head covering was red. So they found it too colorful. For Allah. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, her sentence was to go to mandatory lecture to pu- purify her, and the lecturer was asking them, you, oh, sisters, why would you do this? Why are our young men, they have sacrificed so much for this revolution. They have bled for us. They, and why would you try to tempt them like this? Why can't you be a good Muslim? By the way, this is early after the revolution. Right now in Tehran, most hijabs are colorful. But yeah, I've seen them. I've been to Tehran a number of yeah, times. Yeah, but back then, you know, you couldn't wear hijabs too, co- too colorful. You get arrested. But, you know, my mom had a really good comeback. She said, no, sister, you don't understand. My hijab is red in the honor of the blood that they sacrificed. I used to wonder about that as a kid. I'm like, you know, when you're in Muharram, when the, the, we're supposed to mourn uh, the Hussein's uh, martyrdom or whatever it was, then, you know, they're like, you shouldn't wear red because it's a happy color. I'm like, all their blood was red. And the yeah, whole thing you know, was about... Just what, not, that's for Hussein, for people that died in Iraq and all for the people that died during the, the revolution. That, that, that's more precious to Iran right now. Uh, okay. Yeah, there we go. I was going to say back to your, your question, Ali, about how I would have felt if this ban were... To, if it actually was a ban and if it did happen in my city, I would be like that person that Ada was describing where I would be grateful. I'd be like... Oh, good. So I have no choice. I have to take it off. Mm-hmm. Is part of the reason. I mean, <sighs> I feel like most people would probably be like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's there's, any, there's no statistics on these. We're just, that, that's the problem. We need well, to the do thing polling. is, you guys, it's really all you have to. I mean, either you said you wore it for one night or or something like that, but. This when you wear the full niqab with the gloves. And, and the socks and everything, it restricts every single one of your senses. You can't, your hearing is muffled. Wow. Your, 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 your sense of smell is muffled. Your sense of touch is muffled. Your sense of sight is, is you know, there's an impediment. 
there every single part of you is in somehow muffled it is I, it is, there's nothing that I can imagine that's more restrictive. It's like your mobile prison. It is a mobile prison and you wear it because you feel like if you don't wear it, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. So really, compared to burning in hell for eternity, I would rather wear this. And speaking that's, of burning in hell, it was fucking hot inside that thing on that Halloween party too. Yes, it is fucking it, hot inside like, that thing. I was yes, at my brother's is. place in Kitchener. That's where the party was. And I was telling him, I was like, dude, dude I was like, can you turn up the air conditioning? He's like, it's freezing. Like we're all, it's October. What are you talking about? And then I was so, I, was like, I couldn't wait to take the thing off because it's so and hot. And that's Canada. I mean, Imagine being in Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Yeah. Oh well, uh, there was a time where, I just remembered, there was a time where I wore a niqab. But mm-hmm. it was more of a like, Sexual fetish thing. Oh, that's that's the problem. See, that's what ends up happening. Actually, actually that's, that, that's what happens. That's happened to me. Too. That, that's the only reason I'm defending it a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. no, Wear it in your home. When Fine. You, <laughs> no, when you actually, I, even if I, I like certain types of hijab, but I would never ask her to dehumanize herself with something like that because I know what it stands for. But because what for if for twelve years you see girls all girls because you know all the time in a certain type of a job, then you associate girls with that, right? So, yes. so that's why your mind goes like this is this is feminine, and so you know, and even some trans trans people they they try, wear the hijab because they associate even if they don't have to because they think well this is how what being female is, right? So th- th- that's the problem. I mean, but even, but yes, even if you, f- like you pointed out, even if you find people that, yeah, I really want to wear this, right? Even if you find statistic that's half woman or big, big portion, that does, I, I, I'm not saying that's true or not, but I say, it, like you said, it doesn't make it any better because it's, 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 it's a choice, but it kind of isn't because if you've been brainwashed to f- accept this as a child, right? Or if you're wearing it because of a fear of not punishment in this life, but in the next life, then it's not really a choice, is it? Right? Yeah, and and whenever somebody tries to say it's a choice, that's why I always say, have you ever seen a non-Muslim woman make that choice? Right. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, and not just for an event. Not just right. for rally or something. Fetish. Like continuously, uh, yeah. not, <laughs> not continuously wear it. Like, let, no, but you, I yeah, gotta say, well, really fair so. point. That's a converts. Remember, uh, remember, they who, wear it who, because their God compels them to, because their religion compels them to, because they feel like that's what's going to get them to heaven. They don't wear it just because they. It's like deciding I want to wear a jean jacket or I want to wear a leather jacket. I want to wear a burqa. No. Yeah. People don't just wear it out of choice. And any suggestion that this is modesty and this is the right thing to do is basically slut shaming anybody that doesn't. That's another part yeah, that's, of it. That is exactly another part of it. That's if a problem. Not, like they, they're like they're talking about objectification. We shouldn't objectify women and put them in. Oh, like, so yes, wearing a niqab, covering a woman up is objectifying her. Exactly. And niqab has levels too, right? Even if, if you're not wearing the kind of niqab that starts up here and it just goes down like a tent, if you're wearing the kind that actually has like buttons or it's like tight around your body and you can still see the That's shape of your body. Up. Exactly. Even buttons. <laughs> <laughs> buttons is forbidden like, in Islam. In fact, Islam is forbidden yeah, in Islam. Because it has to be Everything loose. It has to drape. It can't, yeah. it can't be fitted. 
in Iran, in Iran, the Basij will go around like, sister, I can see the curves on your body. Like, yep. look the fuck away. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not supposed to look away. The thing is with men, yeah, sure, fine. Like, look down or, you know, don't look away. But the woman has to make a, 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 an extra effort to cover her body so the men can look away. I, I, you know, this whole idea of men being not being able to control themselves, you know, but this thing, this hijab thing has made men not being able to control themselves. Because they're like, I know. Yeah, because they say like, oh, sisters, if you know what men think in their minds, you would you would wear more than hijab. You would wear like an iron, uh, iron armor or something. That's what you wear. Like that's men are so disgusting. This is for your protection. But no, if you know what? Men become so disgusting if you separate them for 12 fucking years and you don't get to see girls ever for, you know, for most of your teenage life, then you're creating those kind of men that you're trying to avoid. Yeah. The thing is like when, uh, so when, you know, I came to the United States for the first time on a scholarship and on when we come to the U.S. and even before that, they give us an orientation, you know, for, for the people that are going to probably get culture shocked and a lot do. And the first thing they tell men is, you know, the whole idea of consent and that, you know, here women have rights. They actually say that women here have rights. Yeah, they, they should say that. This is, um, I mean, there's no, uh, you can be all politically correct about it, but that's actually something Norway does that. A lot of other sort of uh, people who bring in immigrants and they have to sort of acculturate them to the local culture. You have to tell them that. Yeah, because, because a, lot a lot of men, of them, actually, it's a very alien concept. It's not them. only that. I mean, for them, I mean, they see a woman that is not wearing hijab, they think that she's fair game. Exactly. So let's look after her. And this has happened to a lot of uh, a lot of men that come from, you know, suppressive societies. They come to the U.S., you know, and this uh, is probably the first woman that he has met that is not his mom, sister, or aunt, or grandmother. And then... No, aunt or grandma, aunt and uncles are haram. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this is the first woman that he's seen that is not... Not his aunt, that's what she's saying. not his aunt, his mom, his... Yeah, but you can't see your aunt without hijab Islam. No, you can. Not, not okay. according to us. Really? No, it is. Dude, what are you, you talking about? Wait, you're all oh. Shia. What no, are you talking about, yeah, Armin? What are you talking about? Yeah, said, anybody that you can't marry, you can't. you can't marry your aunt. Dude, what are you talking about? Like, I... Grew up in the most she's not she's, she she's maybe maybe i'm I, cousins for sure you can't yeah because you yeah. can marry your cousin yeah, okay right. marry your aunt or uncle it's been years i don't know sorry i, just, <laughs> sorry, I don't know my sharia guys <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I, I, we actually had to wear it so that's yeah. why we know okay. yeah, and not only that it's because you know i was kind of forced into learning about the religion because my mom mm -hmm. thought the more i would learn about the religion the more religious i would become yeah, but the opposite of so, yeah. so Islam doesn't recognize creepy uncles? Uh, no, they doesn't recognize creepy uncles. There's okay. no concept of creepy in Islam. Yeah. The whole thing is creepy. Like the whole thing, it's invented by, you know, people who had like 11 wives and, you know, marrying nine-year-olds and caliphs and imams who were all men who had multiple wives. And they were, I mean, they're doing... It was like, invented by a guy that added a whole verse in the Quran that permitted women to come and offer themselves to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm -hmm. the only divorce, by the way. That's the only way you could, a woman can initiate a divorce if you gift yourself to Muhammad. So... Sorry, he's dead now, so you don't have any chance to divorce him. So he's I have still a still alive in my heart. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a heart. I don't know what I'm talking about. That was, that was a joke. I have a theory about the sexual repression you were talking about, Arvin. This is my theory. 
My theory was Muhammad was thinking, if we cover up the women as much as possible, if we segregate the men from women, and if we don't let boys see other women, touch other women, uh, not other, don't let boys see women or touch women or ever have any sexual encounters, then they're going to be even more motivated to kill themselves to get 72 virgins. I think you're giving Muhammad way more credit than he deserves because Muhammad was like Trump. He was just, he was just solved. Every verse that came down, he was just trying to solve the problem that he was facing at that specific time. Yeah, right? that's that that completely quote, show Muhammad up. is like Trump. Yeah, like, Muhammad, Muhammad is like, Right, the revelations were like his tweets. It's actually no, perfect. It, because anytime it, a <laughs> shitty situation shows up and he wants to divert from it, he yeah, like, he's like, saying that I should it on me. Well, yeah. okay, he's reversing that she didn't. Fuck you. People like, yelled at him. Verse came that don't speak like that to the yeah, prophet. So, so, so I have a feeling that, that, that whole verse about this head, head covering, he didn't, you know, Muhammad didn't care what happens 1400 years after he did. He just you solving situations. He actually but, thought that the, that the, the Qiyamah was going to happen right after he died. He was dead. Yeah. Right. And even Maybe after he, while he was dying, Abu Bakr and Osman and all this. You know about the carbon were, cycle, guys. Wait. wait yeah. Muhammad, they weren't letting him write down his successor. So he he thought this whole thing was fucked after he died. So he, he said like, oh, the Muslim community. Um, like, so, he, so he thought this whole he thing... Did, he did assign a successor. It was Ali ibn Abi Talib. Uh, well. Yeah, but uh, he was trying to. Abu Bakr didn't let him. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Aisha, Aisha was around and they weren't letting him. Like, he asked for pen and paper. People said, like, Aisha, like, no. Wait, he, according to the Sunnis uh, and the literate that can read or write, why was he asking for a That's pen and paper? That's a good question. That's a fucking good question. Maybe well, he was maybe illiterate maybe sometimes. He, he was partly part-time illiterate. All I know is that if he was around in the time of Twitter, Muhammad, then he would be hashtagging every one of his tweets with hashtag just saying. <laughs> like, no, yeah, yeah, saying, saying, he was like fake news um but <laughs> yes to respond to your question he this whole verse about covering wasn't even about a fucking veil it was about his wives and his house people kept on coming to his house and his wives had so many girls running around and he was like omar was like dude, the, these Medina people have no shame. The senior wives like were running around naked and laughing and it's so embarrassing. So he was like, there needs to be a covering between my wives and anybody else that comes to my home. So that was... It's mine. Yeah, that is mine. Like, no one can... <laughs> so he was talking about... So this was not even about head covering. This was like a, the word apparently is the same. So he, this was like... You know what it is? You know what it is? It's like, you know how men have this primitive sort of physical power where they're more muscular and supposedly physically stronger than women. I, the one thing that men are weak when it comes to women is the whole sexuality aspect. So in order to try to skew that power differential so the physical power like when you do hard labor it's an amazing thing and you're a strong man who's using his you know labor and his talent to do it like when women use their sexuality for anything or express sexuality anyway you tamp it down and that allows males to be superior and that happens right from mary the mother of jesus so she's innocent and pure and un and, 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 you know, chased because, because no penis ever came near her. God forbid a penis came near her. God forbid her vagina was a two-way street instead of just, you know. One way. Like, one yeah, it was way. only one way. That's what. Yeah. So, Mother, Mary, so that, should, Mother Mary should have told Jesus, your, your penis was the only one that went through me. Right. So then, <laughs> then now, <laughs> suddenly, 
<laughs> Actually, that's true. Jesus' penis was really the only penis that was ever in uh, Mary's vagina. In any, well, it's true. He's he's stating a fact. If she gave birth to him, then yes, Jesus, I get oh, it. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, we know how we know how it works. Yes, even in fact, even even, and it was uncircumcised because the holy preface is a uh, is a missing to this day. People are looking foreskin. Go, everybody, go on Wikipedia and look up the holy preface. Yeah. In any case. So it's the same thing. So obviously, if you've ever been touched by a penis, you're impure and stuff. Muhammad, by the way, was born pre-circumcised. Did you guys know that? He was born without a force. Fucking miracle. What? What a miracle. Damn. And his, and his heart was washed with snow by angels. Did you guys know that? Washed with snow in Saudi yeah. Arabia? Yeah, no, the, angels, <laughs> the angels brought it from him. And they, when he was a kid. Yeah, probably, yeah. Well, we had a lot of global warming. So, uh, yeah, they cut his chest open. They washed. They 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 wash the devil's mark like every everybody has like a devil's mark on their heart, but except Muhammad because two angels came and took his heart out and they washed it with the snowy like substance and they put it back. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see fourteen hundred years ago the Quran predicted heart transplantation? There you go. Uh, there you go. Science, miracle, the miracle. Quran, Quranic miracles, miracles. They're probably stuff. talking about it in that place that you passed, I'm pretty sure they are. They're probably like right now sitting there. Not yeah, it's probably but, about this but, time when they start their work day. <laughs> guys, can you give it? Can I give you an opposite story to what we're talking about? Like an opposite example of the like in Iran. Um, is it okay? Just quick story. My, um, my. By the way, mom- we're both very, very conscious right now. I just have to break the, because the thing is, we're talking about Nakab and you know, you guys. Oh, no, fuck that the- bullshit! I can talk about whatever I want. No, uh, I'm a little <laughs> conscious. I don't. <laughs> you misogynist no, yeah, my, pig. My my penis doesn't stop me from talking about things that I want to talk about. Anyways, so <laughs> when has a penis ever stopped anybody from talking? Exactly, and I'm not going <laughs> to. And I'm not going to mansplaining. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to mansplain anything. I want. Hey, all of Islam is mansplaining anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, and actually, I would tell people if man fucked this hot old shit up, they should be part of the cleaning up crew too, right? So. um yeah, anyway, anyways. Penis is cleaning up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Finish right. your So my my mom was in a bank in Tehran, upper Tehran, in Shemran area, and this woman comes in and she's in the full chador, which means she's really religious, and she's ta- she's talking to the tellers at the bank and nobody's answering her question. And then like she keeps being ignored, and all of a sudden my mom grabs her hand, goes to the teller, and like, "Can you please answer a question?" She's been asking you guys for a whole long time, nobody's answering. And finally, the teller so rudely answers her, and then go do, does you know uh, her you know serves her, and then she she leaves. And then my mom is like, "Why are you guys so rude to her?" And everybody at the teller is like, "These these fucking religious people, they ruined our country. Uh, they don't deserve anything less." Do you guys? So basically, in Iran, in Iran, if a woman was being discriminated against because she was more like she was wearing the chador. By the way, anyone that's wearing the chador is probably like signaling that I'm more religious, like you know, than the rest of you. But do you sub? Do would you would you see say that the tellers there were discriminating and that that was the wrong thing to do? Like, is you know, given yeah, go sorry. I think it would be an assumption, like they made an assumption that she was religious, so she could be, in the end, um, just a byproduct of it. I mean, uh, before the revolution, the, the places, I mean, most Shia and Muslims were not that into religion. They were like, eh, Shia, like, you know. But they had more respect for it. 
before the revolution? Uh, I wouldn't. I don't know. To be honest, I wasn't alive before the revolution, so I can't really comment on that. But what I can comment on is that you know, growing up, like for me, for example, I would have been that woman. I was the woman that wore hijab like this, with mm. nothing showing, with like loose and you know, not necessarily a shutter, shutter because like in in um, and show that, I mean, because I wasn't in Iran, but uh, I still wore, like, the abaya, and my abaya was always, like, flowing and didn't have, like, sparkly, sparkly things because, you know, we don't want attention for ourselves. But it looked okay. I mean, it still had maybe one color or two colors. Right. But, uh, you know, I still looked like the most pious woman you will ever meet. But I wasn't really that pious woman. I had to be the pious woman because of the family that I was living with. So are you saying that if you were pious by choice, that would be fair if we knew? No, I still think it wouldn't be. Right. Because so you- she wasn't the one that contributed to the revolution. Why is she um, being blamed for something that she didn't contribute to? Right. And in fact, to be fair, you know, when after the revolution, 100,000 women came out against the force of job, that was a, that's something that has been erased in Iran from our history. A, the women came in thousands to protest Force. And this is not something that people mention in the West, right? So it shows that there was no support for it. And people say it was by choice. And to be fair to hijabi, a lot of hijabi women, many hijabi women came out in support of their sisters that didn't want to wear the hijab and came and protested the forced hijab, right? So that was pretty nice of them. I think, uh, even even though they chose to wear the hijab, I mean, I don't support, I don't, I don't think they should choose to wear the hijab. But the fact that they, and I, for me, I think like if somebody, if I do know that somebody is choosing to wear the hijab, I will support their right to do it while trying to break through to them that this is a sign for, you know, this is a, a sign of this stands for oppressing women, right? Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I would fight for the right to wear it. Is that is that something you guys could relate to? Yeah, the, essentially, what you're asking us is the whole criticize Islam, not Muslims thing. Like, of course, none of us are going to be happy with Muslims being discriminated against. People could say the same thing. All oh, those people are killing people across the planet every day. You know, fuck them. We don't care about them. We hate them, so we're going to ignore them when they come in the bank lineup. Of course, we're not going to be supportive of that, right? So there could be reasons why that that woman, the bank teller was angry or whatever, but you know, it's, it's definitely not okay to just be taking it out on, on people. Right. And, and just to be clear, the, um, uh, am I saying it right? Qada? Qada, yes. Qada, all right. So uh, in Iran, the amount of, even people that weren't religious before the Islamic revolution, they, you know, they had like, oh, these religious people are holy people, like respect and stuff. But, you know, nobody would make a joke about Islam and stuff. But after the revolution, the amount of hate for Islam in Iran is so much. Like the amount of passion people have against Islam and anything Islamic related, at least among the liberal class, is stronger than most anti-Islam people in, 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 in any Western country. Um, I mean, that's what happens when you shove something down. I've actually noticed that when I went to Iran the the four times, three times that I was forced to go, uh, I've noticed that in uh, non-religious people that they really, really hated Islam and they hated the the mullahs, they hated the idolas, they hated all of them. And uh, and it's 
completely the opposite of like when you meet a super religious person and you usually meet those like when you're in in the shrine like for Imam Riza or um, Bibi Zainab you meet those and they're like super religious and it's kind of weird like it's like a, like a dissonance like you go out in Tehran and you meet the average um, Iranian and they're nothing like the people that are super religious. Ghada, mm -hmm. what was it like in, in Saudi Arabia? Did you know other uh, when you became an atheist did you connect with other atheists? Did you find? Yeah, them? I did. Um, I, I actually met a lot of them through Twitter and mm -hmm. I dated a guy who was an ex-Muslim. Mm. Uh, uh, he was a pretty good he was a nice guy. Mm -hmm. So is there, so there's a lot of them there, or oh yes, there's so many. We they have they have their own group that they meet like uh, every now and then. But they're mostly guys. The girls never really um, join them. Um, but I've met Where is this? In, uh, in Saudi Arabia, at least in in my region, and, and of course there are several in in uh, in Riyadh. Uh, the friend that showed me the sign for the the, the scientific miracle of the Quran that was an, an, an atheist as well. And uh, I've met so many. Yeah, Wait, no, they, make in, they, they have ex-Muslims have meetups in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You guys need to listen to the podcast that Rada and I did with Lalo. She yes. tells us all about these secret atheist meetups that they would have, where they're like smoking pot and drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> if anybody all the time, even without the atheism, I and mean, people used to without the atheism, yeah. But I mean, we had our own little atheist group, and I've met most of them on Twitter. Like, isn't in, that like? Aren't you guys taking a lot of risk by just meeting? We them? are, but um, like a friend of mine also mentioned about like you know being active on Twitter when you're in Saudi is as long as you're not stirring the pot, the government doesn't really care about you. It's when you start. You, you know, getting gaining a lot of attention, like uh, for example, Hamza Kashgari or Raif Badawi, or you know, people like that that actually get a lot of attention. And when you do get a lot of attention, that's when the government starts looking into you because they don't want you to influence a lot of people. You are just a bunch of atheists that nobody really gave a shit about that you know commented and under pseudonyms on like a bunch of random shit, and all we did was really bitch. And we found each other through that, you know hating on Islam thing. And we bonded over other Muslims telling us that we should die or should get killed or something like that. And we just became friends through that. And I've met several of them and, and two of them actually helped me leave, leave the country. Yeah. Armin, actually, before even uh, before Twitter and all of that stuff, when, when I was growing up there, it still used to happen. People somehow used to connect. Um, but there, it was a lot rarer. I, I assume it's a lot easier now through um, the internet. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah in Saudi Arabia, there is. I mean, even you know, when we talk about that poll. I talk about all the time where you know it's five percent are convinced atheists there. That's one million population. Twenty. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that's it. a shitload. No, I know about. I I heard a lot. You know, I know about the statistics thanks to you, Ali. But uh, I didn't know they they had the balls to actually have meetups. And they if, did. If mm -hmm. any of you are listening, my you know respect to you, like you know. You guys are on the front lines, and I hope you, you keep growing. And if any of you find a way to come on our show without giving up your identity, please reach out to us. Mm -hmm. I hope someone does, because I remember, like, uh, I've met several people that went to those meetups, and they're pretty nice, like, pretty cool, educated people. Somebody, somebody is asking in the live chat, how did you get permission to leave Saudi Arabia? 
but I, I would like to not disclose that on live. Okay. <laughs> and some of them are disputing the fact that you were on CNN. Can you tell them all that you were, please? I was on CNN. Look, look at my hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's <funny>. that, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely me. That was awesome. Unfortunately, like I thought, if I did it, if I didn't show my face, that my family wouldn't find out who I was. Apparently, my hair speaks volumes. Oh, they knew it was you. They figured it out. My hair speaks volume. volumes. Oh, get it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. I got it. That was good. That was good. That was good. <laughs> well, you're safe now, anyway. So. Wait, what, are your family still? Are you? Are you? Are you? Do you have a relationship with them? Are they okay with you? Uh, definitely not my mother. Ooh. But uh, my father is like a weird, very professional type of relationship where he just wants to make sure I'm alive. <laughs> and then that's it. So your um, mom wouldn't speak to you? Uh, my mom speaks to me, but I don't really consider being called names or whatever it is that she does in her emails speaking to me. Do you think she loves you? Do you think she still loves you? No. No, I don't think so. So you, so Islam, you love Islam, the person. Islam is I more see, powerful than I, a mother's love for their child. Always. For her, for her, yes. For her, for 100% sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't compare my mother to Yasmin's mother, but she's very close up there. Fuck Islam. Seriously. She's really, really close. Where she, uh, where she said that to me, like, in my, to my face when I was really angry, I remember, like, I can't believe you would uh, put the prophet above me. Like, of course I would put the prophet above you. I would put my prophet above every one of you if she's talking to us, her kids. Mm. And of course, I love him more than I love any of my children. He is more important than any of you. And she probably, she pretty much told us, like, you know, you can go all go to hell as long as, you know, Imam Hussein, Muhammad Ali, or whatever it is that she loves, Ahl al-Bayt, are, you know, she loves them more than she loves us. And it's one of those, it's one of the reasons, I mean, to her, Islam, she doesn't love me. I think she loves the daughter that she wishes that she had, which is the daughter that is, you know, obedient, uh, probably married already with three kids and uh, super Shia with uh, wearing hijab and, you know, praying with her and whatnot. Like she wants me to be that, that daughter. And when she found out that I was not that daughter, that's when our fight started. And it started when I started when I was in high school. That would break my heart. Is that, did that really, how did that affect you? Well, I never had a really good relationship with my mother anyway. Uh, she was a very abusive, emotionally abusive woman to me and everybody around her. It wasn't just me. I mean, she was that like that with my brother. She was like that with her own brothers, with her own sisters, with her own parents. She was very, she is still a very, very narcissistic person who thrives on putting people, other people down so she can be up. So I knew from the very start that I didn't like my mother. I felt like I was forced to love her because, you know, she's my mother. My father is a whole different story. My father was a great, he's, he's still an amazing guy. I mean, he still like has the mentality of the Arab guy where, you know, his honors between my legs. But uh, he still instilled in me the love for knowledge. And because of that, because he gave he gave me books on like um, cosmology, he gave me his book about uh, like he, he wanted me to learn. And the more I learned, the more I read about history, geography, 
uh, you know, ancient civilization, gods and goddesses and religions, and, and of course, you know, the cosmos. He was the one that made me want to learn some more. And it was because of him and, and him instilling in me, you know, the love to read and the love for knowledge is that I was able to read religion. And my, my father was never really a very religious guy. He's a more of a, like a secular traditionalist sort of. Person. Curiosity always gets in the way of proper brainwashing. I agree. Cosmos. If I can tell you how many ex-Muslims have told me yes. Carl Sagan, Cosmos. I mean, it, I, I've talked it about it a lot. Carl, it wasn't Carl Sagan. It was the Cosmos, like the outside world, the space. Oh, like my one, father. Yeah. History. Yeah. And my father was the first that person one, to teach me one. about evolution, the theory of evolution. He was the one that, you know, told me about Charles Darwin and what he did. And then he was he started, you know, uh, pointing out articles and pointing out books and pointing out like, hey, you know, this was found. He like, told me about Lucy when we went to the um, uh, oh. National uh, Historic the National Science Museum in Chicago uh, for the first time we were together. He like. He was the first person to ever, like, really, like, he, even though he was not, he doesn't have a formal, well, he kind of has a formal education, but not a, a degree, as opposed to my mother, who's a medical doctor. He was aeons, aeons, aeons more um, knowledgeable and more, uh, and, and much smarter than she was. Somebody in the, Omar is telling me that I'm asking you questions that I shouldn't be asking. I'm, did I? No, like, you're okay. Okay. Sorry if I. No. Omar. Omar, please. No, it's okay. I mean, I, I, I spoke about some of these things when I was in the CU uh, Boulder talk. Uh, so, I, I mean, I want people to know my story. And the thing is, I don't stay, stay the story because I want people to think of me as a victim because I'm not living like that anymore. I'm living a very happy and successful life. You know, I'm here in America with a good job, a wonderful boyfriend, and, you know, I'm healthy. So... I'm not, I mean, but I want to share it because there are so many people back home that are still in yes. my, in my the situation that I left and even worse. And you want them to see that there's a happy ending if they yeah, get themselves. That's what I want to. Yes. And, of, and the more I talk, the more, you know, hopefully that's what I hope that other parents would realize that what, what my parents did was wrong. And hopefully they wouldn't do that to their own parents, to their own children. And even if you could convince one person, that's so worth it. Because a lot of people keep saying that, oh, how, you really think you're going to change all of Islam and all of Muslims? No, are gonna no who's gonna, who talked about, oh, whoever said that? If you can get one person freed from this dogma, you have saved an entire life. You, you, you give them an, a new world. That makes all of this activism worth it. If just one person makes all of this worth it. And I agree with you. you because one person, uh, it's like you saved all of... Okay. Oh, crap. That's, that's, that's the yeah, no, no, Sorry. By the way, have you returned to Islam? Oh my God. That's huh? the verse that right after it says that you should crucify people. I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's right before you say. <laughs> no, the thing I was going to say is, um, at first I thought uh, if I, you know, when I'm doing these talks and I've done not too many of them, I haven't done a lot. Uh, only recently have I decided to be more out there. Uh, one time I was talking to a friend of mine from ex-Muslims in North America, and he said that he was screening a girl, and she mentioned one of the videos that I made kind of gave her the push to finally leave and lead a more you know, fulfilling life. And that made me extremely happy to know that somebody 
thought that, hey, if this girl from Saudi Arabia was able to leave her country and her family and come here and she was able to establish something for herself, maybe I can too. Mm-hmm. No, that's what, that's actually the key. That's what makes the difference. And that's what, you know, what, like Armin was saying, when uh, you hear that all the time, you're not going to change people's minds when people believe something they do. That is, if the last 10 years are anything to go by, like the kind of messages that I think all of us have gotten from people is like, oh, okay, you know, you helped me after seeing your video or after reading your book, after whatever, you know, um, we have now been able to take the step that is, um, the more that happens, the more it makes all of us want to sort of double down and keep doing this. Yeah, and this key right. thing is normalizing. Is mm-hmm. the more we're up there, the more it becomes normal. And you know, they hear our stories, and they hear, for example, like the extreme stories, like my story or Yasmin's story. And you know, the families, hopefully, like the families are not going to suddenly decide to, you know, become ex-Muslim, but they see what we went through, and they're like, you know, I love my kid. And even though, you know, he loved the religion or she loved the religion and she's not, you know, the same, I wouldn't want to treat her the same way this kid's, you know, daughter, this kid's parents treated her. Like, I don't want my pet to hate me the way Ada hates her mother, you know? But mm-hmm. By the way, Omar wants me to clarify the questions that he was saying that I shouldn't be asking was about the meetups, not about the enemies. So that's oh, yeah. well, I'm not specifying where the meetups are. Right. They're in uh, the mosque. I'm kidding. They're not in the mosque. <laughs> by, by the way, they're, 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 the mosques. Go. Okay, so you, said, you said you met a lot of ex-Muslims, right? Yeah. Are there also a lot of people that are reformed Muslims? Yes. Those would be the more people that I that I have met, so that I have it worked was. with. The, those would be those would be like the people that I partied with, right? Those so, are like. The, but are they are they partying and not not being not following Islam because they read the Quran and try to reinterpret it, or do you say? Or they, oh fuck no! Okay. I don't think any of them even read the Quran or all right. So let's be clear: they're not reformed Muslims. They're just oh. They're, then no, I, think, I mean, I mean, do, do, have you met a lot of people that one, read the Quran? One. Okay. All right. So just just to put it in perspective for everybody, you met how many ex-Muslims? I would say about 10. 10? Okay. Yeah. And you met one person that read the Quran and completely reinterpreted the way that makes it seem peaceful. Yeah. Okay. One to 10. All right. Just wanted to get the statistics out. But <laughs> those, were like, those were atheists, atheists, you know, like they just... Right left the religion, they were like super, like, they were not just atheists, they were anti-theists. They didn't, they wanted, well, one of them wasn't. Right. But otherwise, they were, they were all anti-theists. 10 and 1 yeah. is not statistically significant, so it does just, it doesn't, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. But no, no, I'm, I was trying to make a point. It. It's not I'm, like, I was go, trying to make a point, but it doesn't work with the numbers. Yeah, we're more enlightenment people. We'd rather do uh, Voltaire than Martin Luther. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Well, yeah, why not? True. Not Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King for Trump supporters. We're talking about the original Martin Luther. There was one person that was asking me uh, on the live chat about what I think about the people that uh, you know disregard the Hadith. uh, You know, the Quranists. I think they haven't read the Quran themselves. Yeah, they think that the Quran is going to be better than the Hadith. I went through that phase. I went through that phase once, but it was sort of like I also went on a diet with just cottage cheese and water. It was was a hard day. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, no, the Quran, I think the Hadith is uh, worse than the Quran. Like, the Quran is the book that tells you that you could have sex with married women as long as you capture them in war against enemies of Allah, right? Yeah. So, yeah. The Quran is also the uh, the book that describes, uh, you know, what torture you're going to be getting when you're in hell. Yeah. In very, very, very detailed ways. Yeah, and people think that's not significant because it's in the afterlife and not in this life. Imagine if you wrote a book like that about black people, right? If you said, like, you know, you know, but, but let's let black people completely be free in this world. But let me tell you, these the people are demons. They're gonna, God is going to punish them. They're cursed. They're evil. The God is going to pour lead in their throat. You're like, wow, you're being racist. No, I'm not no, saying bro. we should do it in this world. Imagine you wrote a book like that. Imagine you wrote that to them. Like, imagine you wrote a book. There was a book like the Quran. Uh, imagine there was a book that talked about Muslims. Muslims. Oh, yeah, the way the Quran talks about non-believers. Just take the Quran and replace all that unbeliever stuff with Muslims. It would be, yeah. Care's head would fucking explode. Yeah. That's one of my favorite quotes of yet. But oh, yeah, here's a quote. Yeah, you yeah. guys memed it. Yeah, I memed it. I'm said, getting old. No, I you said this is your this is your better quote. You said like if 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 there was a book uh, like the Quran and you replace Muslims with non-believers, heads would roll. That's what literally. Yeah. literally. Oh my god. <laughs> That's what you said. No. So in conclusion, you guys, we are all in supportive of Bill sixty two of Quebec's uh restriction on the Nahab and or restriction I, on face coverings in public I like spaces. It. I there you go. We want to restrict uh, uh Nakab as the sexual fetish thing and nothing else beyond that. <laughs> Yeah. Just, just so you know, like when I did try it for the sexual fetish, the oh, guy freaked. I wasn't targeting you at all. The guy freaked out. He was like, please take it off. I'm kidding. I don't <laughs> want you to put it on anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, mm, it doesn't work if it's like, you know, I've seen those weird ones that are half covered and half not covered. That's just freaking weird. I mean, it's a, it's a sexual fetish. There's no logic to this. I know you, can, you, can try, <laughs> no you can't philosophize around this. This is just something that people are like, okay, I don't know why I like no, but that. I'm, but I'm like saying it. the ones that are the specific kind that I'm attracted to, it has to be the full thing. It can't be like half-half. That doesn't work. Yeah, I tried both. It's still freaky. It's still it's really, so really weird. Next I don't episode, care how much I love the guy, I would never hour. put that shit yeah, on. Yeah, and I would never de- I, I would never demean anybody to even want it. I mean, like, yeah, I mean it's, it's kind of be like it's kind of like, oh, my black girlfriend, you know what my fetish is? Shackles. Yes. <laughs> Shackles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Bone in your hair and start dancing, please. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good analogy. Perfect, Armin. <laughs> uh, it's visually horrible. Okay. Right. That's good. We should do You should bring that up more. Yeah, I, I, I will. Yeah, so even. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably going to get edited out and people are going to be like, Armin is fucking racist, but I don't give a shit. I'm already a Nazi, apparently. And <laughs> Well, you are. You are, uh, what, Aryan? You, you're. That's right. Yeah. Iranian, oh, you, so. um, okay, but Iranians seriously are fucking racist. Like, you know how many times the Iranians came to me and you're like, oh, Atheist Republic was made by a fellow Aryan brother? I'm so proud. Like, oh, 
That is, you know why that's outrageous? Because they assume your gender. Why would they immediately call you? Brother? That's why. That's why. That's, that's why. Yeah, I know. And like, yeah, like, we're so Aryan. That's why we're so fucking hairy and so dark. Ar- Aryan, uh, Aryan, Armin. <laughs> that's such a wrong name. What does Kakasia uh, mean? Huh? Have you heard the term Kakasia in in, in, in Persian? Kakasia. No, no. Kaka, K-A-K-A. Kaka means then, brother. And then S-I-Y-A. Oh, black brother? Yeah, black brother. Isn't that a derogatory term for it South Asians? like a fucking derogatory term. Yeah, I wouldn't Okay, so yeah, I heard that in Iran that that's the derogatory term for, you know, like all the, all the Pakistani and Indian Shias who want to be Iranian? Like, that's kind of what they call them. We were, we were told in our school that, you know, Bilal? Bilal was the first black Muslim, right? Oh. That read that. We were told in school that he's so, he's such a pure person that when he goes to heaven, his skin will turn white. Yeah. Well, as well, the, that was the same thing that they said about uh, John, who was uh, in uh, with Imam Hussein in Karbala, that he was he was a black slave. Uh, he was still, I think, he was kind of still a slave even when he went to Karbala. I'm not really sure of that part because they still called him the slave of Abba Right. So uh, he. I think he, he was, was an Aladdin one. What? No, <laughs> that he was, no, he was definitely a black guy. He was African. Okay. And right. uh, after he died, Imam Hussein said that I see him white in heaven. White. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, you know what? The, do you know that hadith about the funniest one that I've seen is like the virgins in heaven, the huri in heaven. They're um, they're so fair that you can see their bone marrow. Yeah. Like their skin is actually so fair that it's transparent that you can see their bone marrow. Ah, that's like, oh yeah, show me some more of that bone marrow. And, oh yeah, and put a niqab on it. Yes. <laughs> Armin's, Armin's day is made. Yeah. Wouldn't you be seeing their guts and their, yeah. you know, their blood and what they're eating? And- no, but that means that there were like Sahaba and all of these people like jerking off to images of bone marrow. You know, you know, this is this is you know in Iran, this like is how Halloween they was like a was porn or something. It was so now I know what I'm gonna be for Halloween. Oh, oh my goodness, bone marrow white, bone marrow white. I mean. <laughs> oh man! You know, one time our teacher in school, and this is elementary school, said in 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 heaven everything is perfect, and our farts will smell like. You roses. know, roses, right? I thought you wouldn't even. I thought you wouldn't fart. Yeah, the whole class started laughing, right? At how ridiculous this was. And like, look, this is how you make it. Like, you these kids know that you're full of shit, right? Mm-hmm. Rosy shit, maybe, but still shit. And <laughs> 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 uh, you know, the, you know, they made us for twelve fucking years. In cold in winter and in hot in heat of summer, to stand fifteen minutes, listen to the Arabic Quran that we had no fucking idea what the what they were saying. We had to listen to it before we could go inside every single morning. This is how you make kids hate Islam. You make them want like, when is this Quran over? Right. I had to do that for two hours every morning, Armin. Oh fuck. We should do that to all the regressive leftists. <laughs> I agree. And they'd be like, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, let's, let's buy... Imagine, 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 yes, imagine the all right people the coming in. 
<laughs> Imagine the leftists coming and say, okay, let's fuck this Islam, let's ban it. And the alt-right be like, okay, no, calm down. Not that <laughs> You're going too far. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, had, I had this, I heard this girl in Iran. She was saying like, you know what? During the green movement, the green revolution in Iran, which was anti this religious movement, you know, and democracy movement that happened in Tehran, this girl came like, you know what? I went and I stabbed the religious person. And, you know, and, I'm, and she was so happy. Like, what the fuck? Like, okay. You just commit um, a crime. I don't think I want to be anywhere near you. Yeah, no, like, this is how, this is how, but the thing, okay, I'm like, okay, you're scaring me now, go away. But <laughs> this is how much hatred from, is like, people, in a lot of people in Iran would want to see these mullahs burn in front of them. That's how passionate they are with their hate for is it. Is it true that Kamala Tatar did that? Like he took all the mullahs and uh, put them on a ship and he's like, I want you to come up with, like when he started out, he's like, okay, I want you guys to come up with a vision and everything for Turkey. And, you know, now that we have it. So they all got really happy, all the leadership. And they sent, he sent them on a cruise in the Mediterranean and then when they went out, they were having their conferences, stocked it up with lots of food. Then he blew it up in the middle of the Mediterranean, killed them all in one go. Have you oh, heard that story? In Iran, something like that happened. Yes, that's 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 they were in one place, had a meeting. Rafsanjani left the room early, and it blew up. So that's why Rafsanjani didn't die that day. Mm. Rafsanjani is responsible for Khamenei. Everybody seems to love Rafsanjani now, but he's he was the one that suggested he should. He was like, I heard Khamenei said that he should be uh, like nobody else heard him except Rafsanjani. His Rafsanjani. Yeah. yeah, no, Rafsanjani suggested Khamenei for a vote, and Khamenei is in power because of Rafsanjani. I saw the whole oh, yeah. video, the, the video footage of that. Okay, guys, this is getting way too. Shia. We went off topic. I just want to yeah. say one thing. I love one thing. I love that Atatürk made it compulsory for prostitutes to wear hijab. I thought that was brilliant. Instead of what? telling people Did that, yeah, instead of telling people you're not allowed to wear hijab, he said prostitutes must wear hijab. <laughs> so he made like, pro oh wait, he was so trying made to regular make regular women hijab. not want to wear it. Yeah, because if you wear it, people are going to assume you're a prostitute. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, like it's it's that's, fun to laugh at, but that's, that's fucked up, up and you. clever and. and <laughs> <laughs> oh God, right. it's just you know, if it's not one end, then it's the other. It's crazy. <laughs> By the way, we had a huge live chat today. Our live chat was extra live today. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Speaking of which, I gotta go. Thank right. you so yeah. much, Rada. Yeah, of was, course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, stay in touch. Come back. It's fine. Yeah, you're you're a much better host than Faisal, so we'll have. Oh, oh no! Faisal <laughs> is an awesome guy. He's, he's the Khalifa. I know. I like him. <laughs> this is so gonna we, get Faisal to come up. He's like, next time I'm coming back. <laughs> That's what Armin wants to do. And next yeah. time, he, next time Ali is going to be ISIS, and uh, Armin is definitely going to be the leader of the Aryan uh, race oh, movement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we totally want to have you on again as a co-host. This was super yeah. fun. By the yeah. way, find the live chat are saying thanks, everyone. Bye, Canada. Uh, Bye, Canada. Is, <laughs> yeah. That is not from Canada. 
No, no, because it's saying that's okay. Never mind. But <laughs> Lala is saying Canada? that's. Well, you're saying about the three of us, I guess. Um, uh, that's literally hijab porn. Lalo said that because parts of the prostitutes come in. Yeah, that's it. That's his job. All right. Yeah. Anyways, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Oh, wait. Can we end on this note? This guy, I just, sorry, I just got into the chat. Um, Marcus Schober. Farting is clear evidence that humankind was not designed by a god. That's it. That's I basically, it. I don't that's even true. think we need to ever have another Okay, episode. nobody needs that's to buy my book anymore. You just, <laughs> just one sentence farting. No God, that's it. All right. Right. We refuted everything. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Gada. Bye-bye. The Secular Jihadists have been made possible thanks to the gracious support of the Illuminati and the great state of Israel. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. In the meantime, we greatly appreciate the support of our current donors. Please consider supporting by sharing the podcast with your fellow heathens or by donating at patreon.com slash sjme.com.